This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the whistleblower who made life so uncomfortable for the governor has bonded out of jail. Rebecca Jones tweeted that the website where she's been posting daily COVID casualties is being censored by the state until further notice. No holiday for COVID casualties. The state reported 676 additional fatalities between Friday and Monday. More than 2,600 Florida residents have died since the 1st of January. That's an average of 153 per day. Vaccinations have been underway for more than a month, and Governor Ron DeSantis says he's working to expand the number of facilities where you can get a shot. The problem is a shortage of vaccine. Federal supply remains limited, but when additional vaccine comes, we are ready to deploy those doses quickly. Florida's home to 4.5 million seniors, and I'm not going to rest until every senior that wants a shot gets a shot. The governor is counting on churches and publics to speed up the vaccination process. He'll be announcing more sites later this week. Today on Sunrise In-Depth, you'll hear from the chair of the Budget Committee in the State Senate, who says this is going to be a difficult year because of the economic downturn from COVID-19. Kelly Stargell says MCORS, the plan to spend billions of dollars to create three new toll roads, is on the chopping block. A lot of the infrastructure things that we had put into place may have to go to a little bit of a hold. They'll still probably continue at some point, but I don't know how much they'll be funded in this year's budget. Stargell also says they'll be looking for new revenue, which means revisiting the issue of collecting the sales tax on purchases we make over the Internet. I don't believe it's a tax increase. I think it's a tax collection issue, not a tax increase issue. We're not changing the tax at all. It's just a matter of collecting taxes that are already due to our state. The senator says they can also find more money by increasing the cost of college tuition, which has been frozen for several years. We'll also check out your daily calendar of political events and check in with a Florida woman who is an anti-masker and thought she could not be jailed for refusing to wear one. She was wrong. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Tuesday, January 19th. This is National Popcorn Day. And it was on this date in 1863 that the Confederate raider CSS Florida ran the Union blockade at Mobile and began prowling the Atlantic and the East Indies. She captured or sank 33 Union ships over the next two years, striking terror in the Merchant Marine, frustrating the U.S. Navy. They got her eventually, but had to cheat. The Florida was anchored at a neutral port in Brazil when she was attacked, captured, and towed out to sea, all in violation of Brazilian neutrality. Courts ordered the ship to be returned to Brazil, but CSS Florida was accidentally sunk off Newport News, Virginia, shortly after that order was issued. The woman who blew the whistle on Governor Ron DeSantis and the state health department for trying to downplay the danger of COVID-19 is released from the Leon County Jail after posting a $2,500 bond. Rebecca Jones, who helped design the state's COVID-19 dashboard before she was fired for going public with her allegations, faces a felony charge of illegally accessing a computer system. Now, this investigation began in November after the health department reported someone had accessed an emergency alert system and sent a message to 1,750 employees telling them to speak out before more people die from COVID-19. The Department of Law Enforcement claims the message was sent from an IP address that matched Jones's address in Tallahassee, and they confiscated a computer after searching her home. Prosecutors claim a forensic analysis revealed that she downloaded a file containing contact information for almost 20,000 Floridians, so they charged her with a felony. Now, interestingly enough, that charge has absolutely nothing to do with the original allegation that was used to justify a search warrant. So it may have been nothing more than a fishing expedition by the state against a woman who made the governor look bad. Side note here, prosecutors requested a higher bail for Jones. They also wanted her to be forced to wear a GPS monitor and be banished from the Internet. The judge refused. 
The Department of Health reported more than 8,000 newly confirmed cases of COVID-19 Monday, which is the lowest one-day total so far this year. But the number of fatalities is still running in triple digits. 211 on Saturday, 135 on Sunday, 142 on Monday. Florida set a new record last week with more than 1,600 fatalities. But Governor Rod DeSantis says they are doing their best to speed up the vaccination process. Florida's putting seniors first, and we're expanding Florida's vaccination site infrastructure at a rapid pace. In fact, as a result of Florida's strategy, the CDC reversed course and is now following Florida's lead and recommending that states prioritize seniors 65 and up for vaccine administration. Florida has now vaccinated more than 500,000 seniors, far outpacing other states in the nation that are reporting updates on this critical effort. This accounts for 60% of all of Florida's total vaccinations, and that percent is increasing with each week. Federal supply remains limited, but when additional vaccine comes, we are ready to deploy those doses quickly. Florida's home to 4.5 million seniors, and I'm not going to rest until every senior that wants a shot gets a shot. I was pleased to announce multiple expansions of my office's partnership with public supermarkets. Just this week, we announced over 50 new locations. We now have more than 100 Publix locations that are offering vaccines to seniors in their community, and there's more to come. In addition to Publix, we have been working collaboratively at all levels to increase vaccination statewide. This includes utilizing places of worship, state-run vaccination sites, deploying strike teams in partnership with the Florida National Guard to supplement federal long-term care facility efforts and partnerships with senior living communities. Once we receive next week's distribution, we'll be allocating additional supply to our higher performing sites. We have state-supported pods like drive-through testing sites at Miami's Hard Rock Stadium and the Village's retirement community that are performing well and will continue to be supplied. We're also gonna expand our partnership with public supermarkets. We wanna bring the vaccine to even more counties throughout the state of Florida at People's Local Supermarket. We're also going to continue to send vaccine to places of worship and utilize our communities of faith throughout the state. Now, when additional doses of vaccine arrive, we're prepared to distribute the vaccine to wider populations. The governor made those comments in a video posted on YouTube, which allows him to spin to his heart's content, knowing there won't be any pesky reporters asking questions that might burst his public relations bubble. COVID-19 has done a number on the state budget, and that number is bright red, a multi-billion dollar shortfall. So the chair of the Senate Appropriations Committee says they'll have to make cuts and look at new sources of revenue. One of the perks of being the Appropriations Chair in the Florida House or Senate is that you get to spend money on your favorite hometown projects. In Washington, they call it pork. Here in Tallahassee, these special interest projects are known as turkeys, and they may be an endangered species this year. Kelly Stargell of Lakeland chairs the Appropriations Committee in the Florida Senate. She says there is no money to spare this year because of the pandemic. I feel that Florida is doing better than others, which is exciting to know that. Um, but again, our economy is based a lot on tourism. Um, that's always been something that Florida has to deal with throughout all the time we have you know, swings. Those are kind of the things when you're as an individual and you no longer have money, vacations are typically the first things to go and your ability to go into Disney World or whatever. So um, knowing all of that, we're going gonna, I'm, I'm, gonna to have a conservative budget. I'm not going to build a budget this year on the, on the high hopes of the future and then have to turn around. But that's not fair to our constituents to have this constant swing amongst of everything else. So um, it's going to be a tough budget year. 
And even if things are looking good, then all that means is that some future legislature gets to come in and really, you know, backfill and, and fix things that may have happened in the past where we've had to cut things. But um, it's going to be a conservative budget because I want to make sure that we're there's certainty that the main things that need to be paid for are going to be paid for. And there's some reserves for if things happen in the future that we're not in a bad situation. There will be budget cuts this year, but they will not be distributed evenly. Stargell says they'll be targeting specific areas that are not considered to be essential services instead of making across-the-board cuts. I think it's going to be unequal in the sense that we're going to look at what are the core things government is supposed to be involved in. When you have money and you have the ability to be um, charitable and to help things that are just great ideas and great programs and things in a community that government wants to be a part of and they would like to be able to help and be a partner. Um, But if it's not a core function of what government should be involved in or is, is expected to be involved in, you're going to see a restriction of some of those. So it's not going to necessarily be across the board, everybody cut, you know, 10 or 20 or whatever those numbers are. But that's also going to require the input of the other members of the Senate who represent a variety of demographics across the state to have that input. Um, and, and as an example, just, um, you know, when I did a health care budget a few years ago with Senator Flores, and I was like, why do we fund all of these community centers and their mills? And that doesn't make any sense. And because where I live in Polk County, most of our seniors are in some sort of an assisted living and an apartment. In her community, a lot of the seniors would go to these community centers, and that's where they met, and that's where they stayed all day, and they got their meals and things there. And it was a great place for their safety that they enjoyed. So, th- so we, that's what the input of all of the centers is required. Senators is required, and I'm looking forward as we move through this process to take everybody's input and come out. It's going to be a very lean budget, but hopefully, at the end of the day, my goal is that we will have met, met the needs of the majority of the Floridians um, on what they think is most important as well. And one of the projects on the chopping block is MCORS, the plan to spend billions of dollars building three new toll roads. Stargell says they may have to press the pause button on MCORS until the economy recovers. I think um, a few more potholes. I mean, infrastructure is important, but I would see anticipate that a lot of the infrastructure things that we had put into place may have to go to a little bit of a hold. Um, they'll still probably continue at some point, but I don't know how much they'll be funded in this year's budget. We just don't have the funds. I mean, when you're looking at the priorities of Medicaid, our Medicaid rolls went up at $1.3 billion. Um, the de- demands on education, those are more of an immediate thing. The roads are not going to deteriorate overnight. We're going to maintain some of this process, but I don't know that we're going to be able to fund it to the level we had in the past. And don't expect much from the Florida legislature in terms of eviction or foreclosure relief. In real life, Senator Stargell works as an investment property manager, so she views this from the perspective of the landlord. We've seen a lot of that come through the federal government and have been great, you know, help in a lot of those areas going forward. But you have to remember on a long-term rent relief, on a long-term from the, from the, from the tenant side is great. But I'm a landlord with, with just a few properties. My bills are continuing. Uh, there are people in my properties that have lived there for over a year now or right at a year with having not paid some paid rent. So there's a balance of that as well. We want to do the best for everybody, the person who's the tenant, also being aware that there are landlords out there. There are homeowners who have, you know, especially in Florida with vacation homes, they rent their home, uh, uh, you know, their vacation home to somebody. Uh, and if that person's not paying rent, that home will go into foreclosure. That's going to be an impact on somebody. So it, it all, everything is related to everything. We're trying to take as much of that into consideration as we can. The shortfall is so bad that lawmakers are considering the unthinkable, raising taxes. Of course, they won't call it that. Stargell says one possibility is to collect the state sales tax on purchases made over the Internet. Companies that have a physical presence in Florida are required to add the tax for online purchases. But if you buy something from a store in New York and they don't have an office in Florida, they don't have to charge the sales tax. 
Under existing law, you are supposed to self-report those purchases and then pay the sales tax to the Department of Revenue. But the system is voluntary, so no one pays. And Stargell says that has to change. The internet sales tax issue is tax that we should have been collecting, and unfortunately Florida has not done a good job of collecting that by the nature of how that process worked. You had to go online and submit it on your own, and and let's be honest, most of us did not do that, and even if we wanted to, that process was not easy. So I feel that we're going to really shore that up and join the other states. I think we're one of only two who are not collecting it in a more uh, efficient way, so we're going to do that this year as well and make sure that those taxes that are due Florida actually get to Florida to be used. The taxation of Internet sales has been discussed in the legislature for more than a decade, and nothing has ever happened. But Stargell says the budget shortfall created by COVID-19 has altered the math, and she thinks a bill will pass this year. I do believe it will. I don't believe it's a tax increase. I think it's a tax collection issue, not a tax increase issue. We're not changing the tax at all. It's just a matter of collecting taxes that are already due to our state. Senator Stargell claims this is not a new tax or an increase in the existing one, and that is an important distinction. Florida voters approved a constitutional amendment two years ago that says the legislature cannot impose a new tax or raise an existing one unless there's a two-thirds vote in both the House and the Senate. But revising the administration of an existing tax? That would only take a simple majority. Lawmakers are also talking about an increase in college tuition to help fund the education budget. More fallout from the Capitol coup d'etat. Lowe's Hotel says it will not host an upcoming fundraiser in Orlando for Senator Josh Hawley. He's the Missouri senator who was one of the leaders of the attempt to block certification of the presidential election results. Hawley's fundraiser was scheduled next month in a Lowe's Hotel at Universal Orlando. But the hotel chain issued a statement saying it was horrified by the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol and by all who supported and incited it. Hawley dismissed this as, quote, left-wing corporate pressure. Your calendar of events, trustees of Miami-Dade College meet at 8 in Miami. The Pinellas County Legislative Delegation meets at 9 in Seminole. The St. Lucie Legislative Delegation meets at 9.30 in Fort Pierce. The Suwannee County Legislative Delegation meets at 10 in Live Oak. The Polk County Legislative Delegation meets at 1.30 in Winter Haven. The Columbia County Legislative Delegation meets at 2 in Lake City. Trustees from Northwest Florida State College meet at 3 in Niceville. Trustees of Santa Fe College meet at 4 in Gainesville. Trustees at Pensacola State College meet at 5.30. The Leon County Legislative Delegation meets at 5 in Tallahassee. The Escambia County Legislative Delegation meets at 5.30 in Pensacola. Trustees at North Florida College meet at 5.30 in Madison. Trustees at Pasco Hernando State College meet at 6 in Spring Hill. And the trustees of Chipola College meet at 6.30 in Mariana. Finally today, a Florida woman who refuses to mask up during the pandemic was stunned when she ended up in jail. 62-year-old Cindy Falco DiCarato of Boynton Beach refused to cover her face inside an Einstein Brothers bagel shop in West Boca, where she shouted at customers and employees about her right to stay mask-free and refused to leave. The governor has issued an executive order making it impossible to arrest or fine people for refusing to wear a mask, but business owners can order people to leave for not following the store rules, which in this case required the use of a mask. So when she refused to use a mask or leave the store, she was charged with trespassing and taken to jail. That's it for today's episode of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. (laughs) 